What's up, guys? Welcome to Wise Guys Hideaway, Sunday Funday. I'm your host, Ian Barr, and tonight we're talking about the late, the great, the scumbag, you hate him or love him or you love to hate him like me, Henry Hill Jr. Before we get into this, uh, I gotta give a couple shout-outs. Our thing, Clothing Apparel, uh, founded by Gunnar Lindblom, author of To Be a King's Volume 1 and 2, uh, author of Motor City Mafia, Scott M. Bernstein, as well as Ron Roach, Dave Randazzo, all the R thing guys. Shout out to my boys, Nikki D, Kyle Raditz, David Haley, Brandon Clogg, all you guys listening and supporting me. Appreciate you guys. We doing this. Uh, another big shout out to Paulie G from New York. How you doing? David Braxbyer, Rob Lowe Jr., uh, James Ramirez, better known as Paulie Walnuts or Paul Ramirez. And, uh, you know, just all those great guys on Facebook uh, and Twitter that uh, have helped me along through all this. So I really appreciate you guys. Okay, so let's get into him here. The scumbag Henry Hill was born on June 11, 1943 to Carmela and Henry Hill Sr. And he uh, he grew up in Brownsville, Brooklyn, which is, I mean, it's just a mobbed up neighborhood from the 1900s on, guys. I mean, actually probably even earlier than that, but I mean, 1900s come, you know, all the Italians and the Irish come flooding off the boats. And I mean, very notable figures have come from Brownsville, Brooklyn. Uh, probably most notorious would be Murder Incorporated which, uh, that's a podcast for a whole nother time, but, in, uh, in 1955, Hill, uh, Hill grew up across from a mob-run cab stand, by the way, it was run by a mob captain named Paul Vario, uh, they called him Paul Cicero in Goodfellas, but, uh, it's Paul Vario, and he was a capo in the Lucchese crime family, which was a very powerful crime family, uh, during, during this time, during the 50s, 60s, 70s, even up till today, but, uh, Hill grew up across from the cab stand, and it was just fascinating by these guys. You know, this before cable, this before video games, so kids didn't have much to do but play outside or stare out the fucking window, you know what I mean? So, as he grows up at 11, he walks over, walks into the cab stand, just kind of wanders in after school, and uh, sort of looking for a part-time job, sort of looking for, you know, father figure and other men, because Hill and his father did not get along. Hill was dyslexic, he did very bad in school. I mean, he was pretty much just a lifelong fuck-up, if we're going to be honest about it. And, uh, I mean, and that's what we love about him, and that's why there was books wrote about him and a uh, movie made about him. And, you know, if you don't know who Henry Hill is, I got nothing for you in this podcast. You might want to sift to somebody else, because, I mean, from 1990 on, almost everybody can tell you who Henry fucking Hill is. I mean, he's, he's a scumbag, for one thing, but he's definitely a very, very n- notorious figure, if you will, in the mafia. He's not notorious in the sense of, like, he wasn't a tough guy, he wasn't a anything like that, but I mean, he's, he was definitely a guy, that's for sure, <laughs> uh, at 13, uh, Henry meets, uh, James, Jimmy the Gent Burke, a rough, tough Irish gangster who ran with a lot of, a lot of Irish and a lot of Italian crews, you know, I mean, he, he worked for Genovese people, he worked for Lucchese people, he, I mean, he sifted in and out of, I mean, he's just, he was a genius in organized crime to me, but he's another podcast for it, he'll get his own too, so let's, we'll focus on Hill here, but anyways, he meets the young Hill, uh, at the age of 13 at a card game, Henry serving drinks and sandwiches and what have you. And, uh, you know, soon after he starts, you know, hustling with Jimmy, he's hustling with Paulie. He, he's doing everything but really doing what he was supposed to be doing at the cab stand. And his parents absolutely hated it. I mean, he, he never went to school. His father would beat him constantly, you know, trying to knock some sense into the kid. But, I mean, Hill was just too fucking dumb for a beating to have worked. So, if anything, it probably just made him worse. Uh, now, eventually... Hill was actually so liked by these guys that he was given a no-show uh, union bricklayer gig through Vito Tutti Vario, Paul Vario's uh, brother, and he was making roughly $190 a week. Now, for a young kid, that's that's insane. That's incredible. 
Uh, as long as, I mean, as well as running scams on the side, I mean, this guy, <laughs> I mean, Henry is making money like crazy from, from a young age, but I mean, but was always a degenerate, just always, always a degenerate, just a little sneak thief, you know, snake in the grass, waiting to bite. Uh, Hill's first arrest comes at 16. It's one of the few documents on file that actually proves who the fuck he is. Cause he, I mean, he never had anything because he started so young, but he's arrested and the movie portrays, uh, Henry and Tommy selling cigarettes out of a cigarette or yeah selling cigarettes out of a cigarette truck that jimmy had probably hijacked or definitely hijacked that's not how it went down he was actually arrested with vario's uh younger son and they were arrested trying to use stolen credit cards but uh it didn't work out and when they when they were arrested and hill was interrogated hill uh for one for once in his life didn't rat and so he actually got a big boost within the vario crew and like you know a big pat on the back from the wise guys now, in June 1960, Hill claims that he wanted to try to get away from that life, or yada fucking yada, I don't know, he claims a lot of things, so, but at 17, Hill does join the 82nd Airborne, and he heads to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, but it doesn't no good, you guys, because he's down there, and immediately, he starts loan sharking, he starts running gambling rackets, he starts, you know, doing whatever he can to make a buck, just like he did in, in his wise guy days, you know, running with the burial crew. And uh, eventually, before he was dishonorably discharged, he would serve two weeks in a military stock uh, arcade for stealing a local sheriff's car and crashing it while he was intoxicated. I mean, if that doesn't spell degenerate, I don't know what does. Uh, dishonorably discharged in 1963, Hill returns to New York and right back into the welcoming arms of Ariel Crew. They were happy to have him back, you know, they, they knew they could put him to work. Uh, the hijacking scene was booming, just a booming. And, uh... Then in 1965, Henry would meet uh, Karen Fredman and uh, marry her. Actually, they would elope after dating constantly for, I think, pff, something short, like six weeks or something nuts. It was something nuts. But they eloped and they uh, they got married. Now, Hill begins hijacking trucks with Jimmy Burke and his crew. And this is where he meets uh, Tommy DiSmione, a, a ruthless gangster with a very big axe to grind because Tommy's older brother or younger brother or someone in his family, I can't I can't quite remember, forgive me. But was was a rat, had ratted. So Tommy always felt like he had to prove himself. He was a he was a you know a cowboy portrayed by Joe Pesci in the movie, and Pesci did a wonderful job. Except the fact is that Tommy DiCicero was actually built more like a you know like a, a middleweight boxer, or a light heavyweight boxer than like Joe Pesci. But other than that, like the attitude and like the ruthlessness was was I mean it was spot on. Um, now around 1967, uh, a man that uh, a gambler that works at a JFK airport where the Burke crew hijacks out of, named Robert Frenchie McMahon, uh, tells Hill about a big score that's coming in, in Air France. Uh, supposed to be bags of money. Frenchie was a little behind on his gambling debts with Jimmy, and he figured this is how the favor would get make, made up. Now, the plan was to go in, you know, Henry and Tommy come in like they're picking up lost baggage, they walk in, and they just walk out with the money. No guns, no shoot them up, no nothing crazy. The only problem was getting a key. Now, the guard that had the key was a pretty straight-laced guy. I mean, he was a, he was a true, true blue-collar son of a bitch. His only weakness was the hookers. He had a thing for the hookers, you know, and having a, having a little cocktail here and there. So one night, the Burt crew hires a prostitute to get this man drunk and then take him to a hotel. And when they're on the job, Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke sneak in, take the key, make a copy, and put the key back. You know, all while this is going on. And then on April 7, 1967, Henry Hill and Tommy DeSimone literally walk into JFK Airport, walk into the Air France terminal, go to the back, and walk out with $450,000 in cash. 
I mean, of which Hill got $60,000. And he kicked the rest up to Jimmy, who then kicked some up to Paul Vario. And that was what really made Henry likable in these guys' eyes. That's when the red carpet really got rolled out for him. Like, you know, he didn't have, you know, Henry, you know, they liked having him around. They, he was proven to be a, a good moneymaker for as fucking sleazy and dyslexic as he was. In his earlier years, before all the drugs, before all the, you know, he really did love this life. I still think he would always rat it if faced with too much time. But, I mean, he did do a couple stretches and, like, not say anything. Now, Henry takes his $60,000, and uh, he, he claims in one documentary that he almost bought a McDonald's with the money, but he he didn't. He set up a sort of a lounge restaurant deal on Queens Boulevard called The Suite, and that's another claim of Hill's that he set this up to try to, you know, sort of segregate himself from, you know, these guys and all, you know, all the lunatics that they ran with, but it didn't work. They all congregated at The Suite, and they came, became, the place became a fucking hangaround, for God's sakes. And then... Uh, Eventually, a Gambino member, a Gambino-made man named Billy Bats, William Billy Bats Bonavati, uh, would get out of prison, and he came back on the scene, and he began wanting his bookmaking operation back. Now, Jimmy Burke had taken this over when Billy Bats had got locked up, and so the movie portrays it that the whole thing goes down over <clears throat> uh, Billy saying to Tommy, go get your fucking shine box, that whole bit, you know, great scene, but... That's actually not the night it went down. That that whole altercation did happen, but Bats would be killed, uh, like, I don't know how many weeks later, a couple weeks later, at the suite when Jimmy had invited him out for drinks. And they would beat him to death. Uh, Tommy would pistol whip him to death. He would actually beat him so hard that the gun would fall apart. And they wrapped him up in tablecloths, and they, them stopping by Tommy's mother's house to grab a shovel and a, and a knife actually is a, a true fact of the movie. Uh, wonderful scene as well, also, Martin Scorsese's mother, in case anybody didn't know that, uh, wonderful woman, terrific, glad she gave birth to that wonderful director, despite how the Irishman turned out, but that's, a that's another podcast that I'll hopefully do with Scott M. Bernstein, so, uh, we'll keep on, keep on moving here. Now, he'll keep up his charade, you know, of hijacking and this and that, until around November 1972, when eventually Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke are both given 10 years for giving a beating to a guy in Tampa, Florida, who owed Paul Barrio some money. Now, it turned out that this guy had a type, uh, sister who was a typist working for the FBI. Nah, I mean, who, talk about some shit luck, you know. So, Hill is sent to Lewisburg Penitentiary. And in Lewisburg, uh, he happens to fall into the arms of Paul Barrio. Again, Paul is there serving a year for contempt along with some other wise guys. So, they begin living pretty good. When Barrio is paroled, however, Hill sort of starts dabbling in the drug business with some guys from Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and then really begins doing drugs as well. And so when he gets out, you know, he, uh, the hijacking's still there, but it's sort of coming to an end. Um, he begins selling drugs really, really heavily and becomes getting addicted very, very heavily as well. I mean, heroin, cocaine, quaaludes, I mean, smoking pot, everything. I mean, Henry Hill was literally on everything under the fucking sun. Um, despite the fact that the hijackings and JFK was sort of on its coming, you know, on its way out for the mob is like a really primitive racket to have there was still some money to be made there and on December 11th 1978 the most amount of money ever stolen in cash anyways was made there the Lufthansa heist where Jimmy Burke who was in a halfway house at the time mind you set up a team of robbers including Tommy DeSimeone and uh along with uh many others and Henry Hill alleged to have had a part in it I don't know how much of a part he played all I know is 
Henry took Morty, Maury, the guy who had <clears throat> the the knowledge of the Latanza heist, to Burke. That's about all he did. I don't know how much more he did than that, you guys. And, th- I mean, the team would pull it off. They would they would walk in, you know, around 2 a.m. When everybody was on their lunch, they held them up, and, you know, held them hostage and passed bags of money from the safe room all the way to the van. Excuse me for a second. Apparently my cat wants into the room. Sorry about that, guys. Here, we're going to keep on moving now. So they stole around $6 million in cash and close to a million dollars in jewels. Now, talk about a lot of fucking money. Jimmy gave every guy who was involved a piece of the money to start. Told them, don't go spend anything. Don't go any. This is huge. Just a lot of money. I don't think Jimmy expected it to be that much money. And he was actually later quoted saying they were flying over JFK when uh, he had been arrested. He said, you know, that, that used to all be mine. And then, you know, he said uh, Lufthansa was too much. It was too much money. You know, he, he had outdone himself, really. And, um, I mean, along with doing that in 1978, Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke were also fixing Boston, Boston College games, uh, the college basketball teams. They were shaving points off, and they were making a killing doing that, too. So Jimmy had money all over, and uh, Hill was quoted as saying once, he's like, I figured we have $6 million and we ride into the sunset. You know, he's like, two weeks later, we're the fucking heroin business. And, I mean, and that's the truth. There was never enough for these guys. Never enough for these guys. So, I mean, Hill's drug dealing. He's, he's seen all these people get murdered all around him. Because all the guys instantly went out and started spending money. And Jimmy and Paulie just started fucking clipping them. I mean, and I don't blame them. You can't, I mean, guys with IQs of fucking 26 running around just blowing money when you told them not to spend money. That, I mean, the greed factor. Like, man, do I really want to give these fucking momos the money? Or do, or do I want the money for myself? It's a no-brainer, really, if you were doing it as long as Jimmy. And you were as ruthless as Jimmy. <laughs> uh, in 1980, Hill's eventually arrested because of his narcotics tra- trafficking. Um, when he's arrested... The feds come in and talk, tell Nassau, Nassau County that uh, if he becomes a, a government witness, they're going to let him walk from the drug, char- drug charges. Now, Nassau County was pissed about this because Hill was one of the biggest you know, sons of bitches they had in their sights. He had drugs all over the streets. He had money all over the streets. Half of it he didn't even know to go back to collect because he was so fucking high and just so out of it. Um, also, his mistress and partner in cutting the drugs uh, wasn't a very good housekeeper and... Uh, <laughs> Hill also quoted one of the agents as saying, uh, you could have stayed hard for a fucking year off all the shit that they scraped off the curtains and just like, you know, all the film in the air. And so faced with all these, all this prison time and knowing that Paul Vario will have him killed if he finds out that he was in the drug business and Jimmy will have him killed, uh, because he knows too much about Lufthansa and because Jimmy was involved with drugs with him and he's not going out like that. Uh, Henry decides to turn state's evidence and, and become a rat, a fucking stool pigeon. And uh, probably becomes the most famous one of all times. A lot of people say Joe Valachi. I mean, Sammy the Bull, actually, probably. I take that back. But Henry Hill definitely rides that middle level of just fucking dirtball motherfuckers who got famous from snitching out all their alleged friends. But, I mean, it would it would do him wonders, you guys. Not only did he get a book deal with Nicholas Pileggi for Wise Guy, but eventually uh, Martin Scorsese picked up the book and partnered up with Pileggi to make Goodfellas. Uh, the most iconic gangster movie of all time, if you ask me. It's my favorite movie, personally. Like, once again, The Irishman is not comparable at all, but Goodfellas and Casino are definitely two of the best, you know, mob movies ever made, if not the two best. I mean, yeah, I, The Godfather, obviously, but nonetheless. Um, but not only that, he would also be a constant guest on things like Howard Stern and anybody's radio show that could afford to pay Henry Hill. Henry Hill sleezed out the fact that he was a rat and that he used to run with some real guys while he himself wasn't a real guy until his death. 
I mean, all the way up until his death, which would be on June 12th, 2012. So, I mean, Henry would outlive a lot of these guys, almost all these guys he put away. Paul Vario would die in prison. Jimmy Burke would die in prison. Uh, Tommy DeSimeone was actually executed long before any of this, which uh, we'll get into in the Jimmy Burke and Tommy DeSimeone podcast. I'll tell you how that went down and how it how it really happened. It's not as the movie portrayed. They set it up right, but it's not exactly the same. Hate him or love him, guys. Henry Hill is a fucking legend. And uh, I loved, uh, I hate to love him because I have this thing about people who make me laugh. If you make me laugh, I can't quite hate you. And Henry Hill has made me laugh on so many occasions. Every documentary about him, he's just a drunk, fucking slurring scumbag with this hard fucking accent and he smoked forever. So it's just hilarious to me. From all of us here at Wise Guys Hideaway, I'm Ian Barr. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. <laughs>